All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? How's it going? Uh, you know, if you got a kid in the car, you know what's up. Got a DM from a mother who uh, has a child on the spectrum who uh, apparently started uh, walking around school saying, what the fuckers? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? How is a kid not going to get excited about what the fuckers? Come on. I'm excited about it. But anyway, if you've got uh, kids in the car, it's your choice. I'm not saying this is all going to be filthy, but I think, uh, I guess sometimes you don't know what's coming, right? Right? What the fuckers? What the fuck, Nicks? How about that, kiddo? How about what the fuck, Nicks? What is happening? How is it going out there? I, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty good today. You know, I'm recording this. The day after my birthday party, I had a birthday party. I've not had a birthday party in a long time. Uh, And it was a very special evening. And maybe I can try to explain that to you. I don't know. All right, we'll get into that in a second. Let's do this. Let's do this. Two guests on the show today. Les Claypool. I don't know if you know Les Claypool, but he's best known as the founder of the band Primus, but he's also been in many other bands like Sausage, Oysterhead, and Les Claypool's Fearless Flying Frog Brigade, which is actually going back on tour this month. Yeah, and he's done a lot of stuff with the Sean Lennon. He's done a lot of stuff with a lot of people. And, and actually, uh, Les Claypool and I share a birthday week. Les also turned 60 this week. During the talk with Les... Mark Rebo came up a few times. He's a guitarist that's played with Tom Waits, John Zorn, Elvis Costello, and a lot of other guys and gals. Uh, and I've been a fan of his because he's a kind of a, a unique and uh, kind of edgy guitar player uh, in a very uh, authentic to him way. He has a new album out with his solo project, Ceramic Dog, and, and we kind of put these together. It kind of made sense. So there you go. Double header. Their music is out on the margin in a way. You know, you got to go find it, man. You got to go find it. You might know Primus, but do you know the other 90 projects that he at less has been involved in? You might know Mark, but do you know all the stuff? Anyway, that's happening. Also, I'm in Bellingham, Washington at the Mount Baker Theater for one show on Saturday, October 14th as part of the Bellingham Exit Festival. If you're a Seattleite, I'm not going to be up in Seattle and some of the major cities till next year. So take a drive. Come up to Bellingham. It's not that big a deal. Portland, Oregon. Good news. Just added a show. Uh, The five shows that I had were sold out months ago. I added a second show on the Sunday, October 22nd. I believe it's a 930 show. So that's happening. Uh, Boston, I'm at the TD Garden for Comics Come Home on Saturday, November 4th. I'm at the Chemo Theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico for one show on November 11th. Hometown show, I think there's about 60 tickets left for that. Denver, Colorado, I'll be at the Comedy Works South for four shows, November 17th and 18th. You can go to wtfpod.com slash tour for tickets. Maybe this week I'll get up, uh, get the, uh, there's going to be a lot of local small theater dates here at the uh, Elysian and at Dynasty. So that's all happening. I, uh, I have my buddy Sam Lipside in town for three nights, which was great. Uh, you know, I talked to Sam a lot. 
and we, you know, we don't get that kind of time. I rarely get that time. Even if I go to New York, you know, we get a, a day and we hammer it out. But now we kind of had a nice leisurely few days to hang out because he came out for my party. Uh, Brendan McDonald came out for my party. My buddy David Kleinfeld, who I've known since Hebrew school, came out for the party. Uh, flew in. There were some people that flew in, which was uh, it's very nice. You know, I, I don't, I, 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 I guess I just take birthdays for granted generally. And uh, I don't know that uh, I, I prioritize them or think to even celebrate in any real way. But for some reason, 60 had some uh, gravity. And it's definitely shifting my perception of myself and the world. Uh, not in a bad way. So the birthday party, um, I was trying to count how many people were there who were actually guests on the show. And uh, it, it was up there. It was like uh, from 10 to 15, 10 to 12. But I didn't really know how, how to do the party because, I don't know, I've been to parties before. You know, we all have many little pockets of life and, you know, I thought, well, either I do a comedian party or I do a party of uh, people that have made an impact on my life, have known me a long time, people I want to know better. It was just a, the idea was basically that I would invite a, a group of people that didn't cause me stress or annoy me. Some of them were comics, were invited, but many of them were on the road. But there were representatives from my childhood uh, who knew me way back. There were representatives of people that knew me, you know, since, you know, the 90s. There were people that have known me since, you know, over this, the arc of my life, different friends come in. And then there was a bunch of new friends who who, who I've met recently. And it was just, uh, and it was an interesting combination of people. There were several movie directors. There were several um, uh, novelists. There were a couple of comedic performers, actors. And then there was a, uh, my old buddy John Daniel from the music business, my buddy Dan from uh, Gimme Gimme Records, my buddy Alan, who I've known since he was like 10, who recently re-entered my life, my buddy Dave from Hebrew school, and me and Dave both worked at Alan's dad's men's store when we were in high school. Uh, obviously, Kit, and she got the cake. What an amazing vegan cake. We did the whole thing at uh, Buena de Planta uh, on Sunset in Silver Lake, and it was spectacular. I went to a party there. I went to Allison Bree's 40th there, and I was I just became... It's a vegetarian Mexican place, and it's it was great, and the staff was great, and they handled everything beautifully. But the interesting thing was is that all these people I feel very emotionally connected to. I invited a few other people that were out working, and a couple of people couldn't come, but it was such a kind of an amazing uh, a night because the interface of all these people, you know, the interactions, you know, writers, directors, you know, comics, you know, actor. It was, uh, I just wanted everyone to get along and you can get kind of exhausting to do a party, but it was just a, a highlight. It was a, it was an amazing night. I, had, I got some cool presents. Kit found an old promotion for me in a newspaper in San Francisco and framed that up. It was very moving and it, and it really worked out. Uh, lovely party, very touched. It's so funny. You know, I, you know, I was panicking the day before. I'm like, what if people don't come? And I was just nervous. What am I going to do with all the food? What if there's food left over? That's how I got, got hung up on the food. That was just probably too much food. It all worked out. I entered 60 in a very nice way with people that I, I, I respect 
and have deep feelings for and who uh, who feel the same about me, and I don't always realize that. So I'm thrilled. I feel okay. And uh, it was it was a great party. Um, all right. Well, look, Les Claypool uh, is going back out on tour with his band, the Fearless Flying Frog Brigade. They kick off again on October 11th in Oakland, and they'll be going across the country throughout the month. You can go to lesclaypool.com for tour dates and tickets. You know, I know Les Claypool's the guy, and I wanted to know where that came from. So this is me talking to Les Claypool, the the bass virtuoso. This is a nice knife. Yeah, I think it's a, I don't know. That, the story behind the knife is uh, a woman was subletting an apartment I had in New York and her boyfriend collected knives and, you know, uh, her and I had a falling out and the knife was left. Yes. So I have the knife, the hammer, the broken hammer, the, the the gripper, oh the gripper was just in a package of some sort. Uh, this is a someone made this. It's of my dead cat. Someone made the glass ball. Someone made this thing with the cat for me. It used like the clutter used to match the old garage. Now it just seems very specific and demands, you know, like uh, answers. But before in the old garage, everything was cluttered, so it just was part of the fabric of the place. But so I, when you say the old garage, where you used to do your yeah podcast yeah in Highland Park yeah ah. the original garage was. Uh, was a, a, a thing. It was an old, weird, beat-up place. I miss it, but I like it here. Yeah. So I'll give you the journey of the morning because it got pretty exciting revolving around, you know, you. It's very hard to sort of cram Claypool. What do you mean cram Claypool? I mean, like, you know, like I got to get up to speed on Claypool. I kind of yeah. like that cram Claypool. Yeah, yeah. Because I like, should have some... named my kid Cram. That would have been amazing. <laughs> it, it, it's my name spelled backwards. It uh, is. It Whoa, is. look at this. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Mine's some synchronicity going yeah, here. Crammed, more synchronicity. So here's the, so I'm trying to, because I know you, I know some of this stuff. You can't know all the stuff. And no one can know all of the stuff. I know hardly any. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm spinning out because I'm like, you know, how do I put this guy into context? He's a guy who's got his own zone. So you defy context because you're your guy. You're, you're Les Claypool. So you... That's your. That's the thing. It's its own rabbit hole. So I'm like, what? Where do I go with this? It's kind of like Zappa. It's kind of seems like where is it rooted? And then all of a sudden, like, I have this fucking mind uh, blast, and I'm like, so fucking residents, right? So I start listening to the residents, which I haven't done in years. This morning, mm-hmm. and then I get to then I get to Snake Finger, and then oh, yeah. I get to Polka, and then I get to uh, uh, Bavaria for some reason. And Bohemia, and then I get to the Illuminati. So what's going on, man? Man, you took the long way around the barn. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly! <laughs> but uh, but uh, but the, so that was sort of the the journey of the day. Is that I'm looking at Adam Weishaupt on my phone, and I'm thinking like, it all comes full circle, man. Conspiranoia, it's all in there, dude. Yeah, I, this sums it up right here. I shot Liberty Valance. <laughs> I'm the man that shot Liberty Valance. <laughs> You're the guy. Yes. But wait, you, but where did you come from? Uh, I'm an East Bay kid, uh, you know, m- meaning Northeast Bay of San Francisco yeah. zone. And you grew up the whole life there? Yeah, born in Richmond, raised in Pinole, El Sobrante. El Sobrante, but if you live there, you say El Sobrante or yeah, El Sob. Yeah, sure. Uh, lived in Berkeley during my, you know, wild years. It's weird. There used to be a comedy gig in Richmond. I used to live in San Francisco for a me. year. No, there was a, there was a Walnut Creek punchline, but there was a one-nighter, I think, in Richmond that was uh, not great. I, uh, 
You really? <laughs> I used to play a lot of Hell's Angels bars around, you know. North, around that North area? Cal. Yeah, well, Richmond, yeah. Antioch, San Pablo. Yeah, I, I want to f- feel like there were, it, where was the Sunshine Saloon? It was like. Sunshine I, Saloon, man, that's, there's some bells ringing. Right, it's somewhere in, in the East Bay. That you know. sounds like one of my old it uh, must, it biker been. bars. Yeah. So, you do you have siblings? Uh, I have a a half brother and half sister and a step brother and stepsister, and I'm quite a bit older than All of them? my brother. Yeah, I'm nine years older than my brother, eleven years older than my sister. I'm a year older than my step brother, and three years older than my stepsister. So you're the oldest guy. I am the plow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You set the example. I'm the one that yeah. they went. Holy shit! Actually, I was a pretty mellow kid. Yeah. But my dad did call the cops on me once because they found a tiny bit of weed in my in my. Bedroom. Oh, so your dad was that guy? That's I, that's how I'm going to teach the kid a lesson. It, it worked. <laughs> um, yeah. My dad. So so my parents were married very young. Uh, well, they had me very. My my yeah. mom was 17 when I was born. My really? dad was 19. My dad used to like to brag that when he was 19, he was a transmission mechanic. He had a mortgage on a house, a payment on a car, and a payment on a washer and dryer, and a baby son. <laughs> yeah. So. But because of that, he was, I mean, he was like, my dad was like a cross between the Fonz and Dennis Weaver, you know. And right, because you're like my age, so you're what, born 63? You're three days older than me, if you <laughs> want to talk about doing some research, because I looked you up. Wow. Two days. Really? 27th? Yeah. 29th. No kidding. Yeah. So we're both, are you Libra? I'm Libra. Yeah, me too. It's weird, right? I don't know what it means. I, it doesn't mean anything, but yeah. some people present it to you as if it does, and when they say things that make sense, you're like, holy shit. Well, it always pissed me off as a kid because yeah. it was boring. It's like my my cousin was like the crab, or, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, I want to be one of those things. I want to be a ram. Why do I got to be this, this scale? You're the scales. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what does it even mean? Exactly. Well, that's exactly the question of Libras. All right, so, but that's 63, and your dad's like 20? In 63, 19? He was 19. Man. So you had this experience of like, you know, for most of your life, your half, the early life, your dad was just a kid. Yeah. Well, he was, like I said, he was, yeah. like, he was a, he's, you know, he's a retired auto mechanic, transmission mechanic. He was very, we were, we've always been close. We're yeah. still close. I mean, as long as we don't talk politics. Um, <laughs> yeah. He lives in Idaho now, but, you know. Idaho, so you really can't talk politics. <laughs> yeah. He uh, <laughs> he always, he had the mustache, he had the pompadour, he wore the cowboy boots. He was yeah. always very, very, he was like the cool, cool yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. But to him, weed was, I may as well, it may as well have been heroin, you know. Really? Because that wasn't a thing for his generation right. at that stage. Because he had to go from being a 19-year-old to a, a, a dad and yeah, grow up. Yeah, right. You know, so he came from that sort of conservative baby boom thing. Yeah, I always joke with Sean, you know, Shiner, Sean yeah. Lennon, that you know my dad probably wanted to beat up his dad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> really, your dad wasn't even impressed by the Beatles, huh? Oh, you saw oh, they, they can't sing for shit. <laughs> but my dad was not musical. But he he's always been a great guy, very supportive. Guy. But a car guy all along. Oh yeah, like he had cool cars. Uh, we had some cars. I mean, um, I have a lot of cars now that are, are all in various stages of, of disrepair. Can you fix them? I can to an extent. The but old my, ones? my dad yells at me when I do because he's, you're going to screw up your hands, God damn it! What the hell are you doing? I'm like, well, if you didn't live in Idaho, you can come help me with these damn, damn things. <laughs> but would you live up in Northern California? I do. Really? That's So that's beautiful up there. Yeah, no, it didn't the, burn down? Not yet. <laughs> we're in the uh, coastal wine country. Oh. Sort of That's in between so nice. Sebastopol and uh, Bodega Bay. Oh, yeah. I used to, when I, I lived in San Francisco briefly, and I, I, I never quite understood the city. 
But I used to drive up north. I used to like to go through Bolinas and Point Reyes. Yeah, beautiful. And, oh, it's the best. Well, I'm a little, I, you know, I, I, I keep my boat out in Bodega Bay. Yeah. So that's where I do all my so fishing. So you got a boat and do fishing. Yes. And you got a plane now. I do. And you fly it. I flew it down here today. How long does that take? Like two and a half hours. Wait, now, you must be, I, you know, some people, like, I feel like I'm busy, but I think a, a lot of times it's just me thinking. But you seem to be doing things. You know, I get bored easy, and when yeah. I get bored, if I'm not doing something, I, I get a little depressed. You know, I'm, yeah, a, I'm yeah. a peaks and valleys guy. Yeah. But I remember uh, Neil Young years ago told me, because he has all these cars, yeah. he has his own bus, and he says, well, I got the traveling Jones. Yeah, so, yeah, right. And that's kind of me. I, I love, you know, I got a couple old tour buses, a boat, yeah. got lots of old cars. But they're all, besides the plane, yeah. are all in various stages of... You know, I'm lucky if they'll start at this point. In time. So, like, but you, the, so you have all these things, and you, you seems like you just put bands together, or bring groups of people together, and go, let's play for a while, and then just go play shows. Yes, <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> that's another element of, of boredom. I think they call it. You know, they have a technical term for it now, ADHD or whatever it is. Yeah. But you know, I, I always say, you know, I've been with my wife for over 30 years now. You know, and yeah. so I say, you know. But I'm musically very promiscuous. You know, I'm a musical whore, basically. So, but that, but it's weird though because no matter. It seems to me that like listening to a lot of the stuff you play with outside of doing, you know, studio sessions with other guys, that that or uh, other musicians, that when you're playing your stuff or 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 you're part of the core, you you can always tell it's you back there. So you may be promiscuous. Is that but a good thing or a bad thing? It's great. Know? Well, there you go. It's like a you're a singular thing, which is kind of mind-blowing. And I imagine you have sort of like these fans that are, you know, totally in the rabbit hole and know everything that you have to uh, sort of deal with occasionally. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There are there's a there's a podcast that I should know the name of it. That's the Primus something or other that these guys run. And we had uh, we were doing this VIP thing on yeah. this last tour where on the Frog Brigade tour yeah. where you get to come and hang out with yeah. me and chit chat. Yeah, and we did this little game show, and he came and did. Yeah, it was like a trivia show, uh-huh. and he knew more about me than me, you know. And so, really, it was a couple it? things he didn't have right, but for the most part, and it was, it was, it was, it's very endearing. Yeah, well, in terms of of things you were involved with, yeah, or you know, played this song. You've only played this song three times, and you played it in ninety eight, <laughs> and it was uh, it was raining, and there was you know, you yeah, had, yeah, 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 you know, there was lettuce wraps on the on the writer. <laughs> I, you know, I don't. It's, just, it's crazy. Some of the stuff that he knew. But is it is it impressive or do you find it uh, uh, uncomfortable? No, I, I think it's because I was that guy when I was a kid. I was always that guy that was looking for the thing that nobody knew about or that not too many people were into. From what age do you remember being that guy? As early as I can remember. Yeah, when you, you know? started playing music. I mean, even before that, you know, when all the you know we're same age. Yeah. So when everybody was listening to Kiss, I'm listening to Zeppelin. When everybody yeah. started listening to Zeppelin, I was listening to Rush, and then I started finding. You know, like old Peter Gabriel and the yeah. residents and Snakefinger and yeah. and Public so, Image Limited and all these things. Yeah, but I had but the reason I found it was because of a guy who worked at a record store. Like I had this guy, the same guy. He was a guitarist in uh, New Mexico who mm-hmm. did like he he had a band that played once a year called Jungle Red, and it was just him and this other guy, a guitar and, and a noisemaker. And they and I remember their final performance. They uh, they were wearing surgical scrubs and uh, breaking fiesta wear with hammers. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he turned me on to The Residents, Fred Frith, Brian Eno, John oh, Hassel. Yeah. 
you know, that whole world of music. And then there was another guy at the same record store that turned me on to all the old R&B. So I had these two worlds going that I couldn't really wrap my brain around, but I knew something else was out there. Yeah. Do you, but you must have caught the crashing wave of the hippie thing in the Bay Area. Do you remember that? Uh, I mean, I didn't really. I, no? You know, I... I you I mean, know, I, I know all the dead guys, and a lot of it's through their crew because their sound yeah, yeah. And I know the guys that helped build this wall of sound and stuff. You know, Don Pearson, who's no longer on the planet. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant uh, audio guy. Yeah. Um, but I was never... You know, I've been to a couple of dead shows when Jerry was still around. Sure. And I went to the Fairly Well, but they didn't they didn't Fairly Well. They kept on going. <laughs> <laughs> well, and my was... buddy Jayski plays with him. Actually, he was the original Frog Brigade, as was Jeff Comenti, who plays Keys. But... I I it's I just never went down that rabbit hole. Yeah. You know? Which ones did you go down? Well, I was I was a lunatic for Rush when I was a teenager. Really? That was my whole world. It was? Oh yeah. Oh my god. That was my first concert was uh Rush Hemispheres at the Cow Palace. Uh drank three warm low brows and threw up in the parking lot. Yeah. Bought a bootleg ticket for twice as much, even though it wasn't sold out because yeah. I just didn't know any better. Right. Bought a bootleg t shirt. Yeah. Which years later I wore it would barely fit me. I wore it when we opened for Rush and I'm like, hey, Alex, check this out. And he's like, it's a bootleg. Like, oh, really? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it's not real merch. They were my, you know, there was nobody better than Getty Lee when I was a kid. Getty Lee, Chris Squire, yeah. John Paul Jones. But then I discovered Larry Graham, Lewis Johnson, Dexter yeah. Redding, yeah. you know, guys like Bootsy. You know, yeah. It's like, that just changed my world. Because Rush, it was weird. I, I had this beef with uh, with Rush for a long time. <laughs> I had to, I was I I worked for a caterer in Albuquerque, New Mexico when I was in high school. I was fifteen years old, okay. and they were and I was not a huge Rush fan, but I knew them because you couldn't avoid Rush. But the caterer catered the concert, and Alex Wiesen was rehearsing on a classical guitar, and he found his dressing room to be warm. And my boss, who was the food guy, had it didn't it wasn't his job. Alex Wiesen wanted a fan because it was too hot for him to practice. And my boss made me drive like a half hour up to his house to pick up a floor fan for Alex Leifson. And I told this story, and then uh, uh, Getty Lee made it made it right on Instagram. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is, is our first of all, our first gig with yeah. Rush was in Albuquerque, but it was in 91 or 2 at or the, whatever. Where was it? At the pit? or King I don't know, it was some yeah. big old yeah. thing that, you know— <laughs> Your first gig Big with old, Rush, or in first gig when we toured with Rush, because we toured with them a few times back yeah. in the day. But Alex is literally one of the sweetest, I know, funniest the guys guy. you'll ever meet. Yeah, He's, yeah. He is hilarious. Yeah. You get a couple booze drinks in him, and he can get a little. They call him. I probably shouldn't say this, but <laughs> <laughs> they have a name for him. Yeah. And, uh, 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 but a nice guy. And he he can get a little surly, but it's still in in good fun. But he's he is a hilarious, incredibly sweet human being. But at the beginning, so you're 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 playing bass, and when do you have the first band? Before, like, what, who were you playing with? Oh, Where well, were you, you? You grew up in the same. Where did you grow up? Albuquerque. You grew up in Albuquerque. I did. Oh, look at that. Um, well, back then. Yeah. Nobody wanted to play the bass. Everybody wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. So yeah. I bought a bass. I was instantly in a band. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, it all connects because I told you about how my dad, they, my stepmom found this little bit of weed in my yeah. bedroom. Right. And called the cops on me to scare me, which which it did, and yeah. it worked. Um, but I, the, a guy in my algebra class sold me that weed. And I used to go into my Mr. Kelly's algebra class. Yeah. I'd go in there, and there's this guy with, you know, big, thick pot bottle glasses and yeah. long hair and dirty white t-shirts yeah and he'd sit there and he'd roll up dime bags yeah 
And he'd look at these guitar magazines. Hey, Claypool, man, this is the this is the guitar I'm getting. He'd show me his picture of the Strat. I still remember the ad, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he would give me these tapes because he wanted me to sing for his band. Yeah. Because I was always singing some Aerosmith or some shit. Right. And I was too. I and it turned. He turned around to Hendrix and and, Cream yeah, and yeah. stuff. And that person, and he's the guy that sold me the weed that my dad found. Right. Kirk Hammett. Come on. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it was Kirk that got yeah. me into the whole notion of hey, there's a band scene, and so I was too scared to sing because yeah, I, I, I still can barely sing. Yeah. And um, so I met somebody else who needed a bass player, so talked my dad into loaning me the money to buy this little crappy bass. And he was like, well, if we're going to do this, it's something you really want to do, huh? And yeah. We had no money. We were yeah. an auto mechanic. And I had $15. Yeah. And so he loaned me. And we, he said, well, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's go talk to Al. He had a buddy that owned this music store. <laughs> yeah. We went down and bought this Memphis p bass copy, 150 bucks. And I yeah. pulled weeds all summer to pay for it. Yeah. And, was, and, and, that was, and that was the beginning. That was so the was, beginning. So that must have been like Kirk must have been almost in Metallica already. No, that was Exodus. He had just started Exodus. In yeah. fact, I was in jazz band with Tom Hunolt. No, not Hunolt, Hunting. And um, he uh, he was the original drummer for Exodus, and they were starting Exodus. And they were right. kind of like an ACDC-sounding band. That's a good sound. Yeah. I and, like it. And, and so Exodus was one of the local bands. And like, uh, how, was Hammett a pretty inspired player when he was a kid? I mean, he played a lot. He wasn't the best guy in town, right. you know, but he was... The, he was a good player, and he was the nicest guy in town. And he always had a vibe. He always yeah. had every time you saw Kirk on stage, he always had this vibe. And you're like, man, yeah. he's got a vibe. Yeah, guitar and guy. A, and he's another. He's just a super sweet guy. I know he's got Peter Green's guitar now. He does. Yeah, Greeny. He's got that Les Paul from uh, that '59 Les Paul that Peter Green used on all those original Fleetwood Mac records. It's some sort of magic instrument. He's and... got a lot of those types of things, from what I hear, <laughs> but... as he should. But were you, were you all still in town? Like, so what was the band you were in playing? Uh, I was in a band called Blind Illusion. Nice. Business yeah. cards? Oh, I don't know. It no. was kind of a progressive progressive metal thing, you know. And um, I went in and out of that band for a few years, you know. Yeah. Progressive metal. Yes. Like, who was that modeled after? Well, in the early days, it was very Rush. Yeah. But then once metal actually started becoming metal. Yeah. Um, like, I, you know, Primus was going in the mid-'80s, and I didn't really... There was a whole different scene in the Bay Area yeah. called, called the World Beat Scene. Right. And I used to work for a bunch of those bands. I was roadieing for... And Jayski, who's playing with the dead now, and he yeah. played in Primus at one point. You know, I used to work for those bands. Like, which bands? He was in the Freaky Executives, which was basically... They were like the time. They okay. were like the oh, San Francisco okay. version of the time. So that's, But that's R&B, really, right? Well, it was Minneapolis funk. Right, okay. So super aggressive. Yeah. Just, it was they were badass, but then yeah. there was these other bands like the Zulu Spear, the Looters. There was a band called the Looters. They should have been the next U two. They were amazing. Yeah, they had a vibe. Yeah, very very political. They were the only band from uh, the U S. that was allowed to play Nicaragua. That was back when the Sandinistas were doing all their shit and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And uh, they went down and did that. It was this whole big deal. Yeah, but the whole scene fell apart. They hooked up with I don't want to say who it was, but this this manager guy who just kind of started pushing them down the wrong, you know, it, Pipe. Was, it was this cool scene. Yeah. And then a guy came in who, who was a big time guy and just started changing things and it ruined the whole thing. Huh? So, but that was your, that was the, the root of it was always kind of proggy. Yes. Proggy. And, and then, then for me, the, then I've discovered the, like, you know, I went to Isley brothers and Larry Graham at the Oakland Coliseum and with, Funkadelic and that stuff, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but Zappa doesn't factor in. Zappa factors into Larry Lalonde's world very heavily. 
Yeah. A guitarist for Primus. Yeah. And um, so he his favorite guitarists in the world, he'll tell you, it was uh, Frank Zappa. Yeah. Jerry Garcia and Eddie Van Halen. Interesting. You know, and then I yeah. turned him on to like Mark Rabot and, and Mark Rabot. And, and, and he's one of my all time favorite guitar players. In fact, my f- favorite guitar solo, and I'm not big on favorites, but my favorite guitar solo in the world, and I just yeah. played it for Billy Strings recently, is the guitar solo on the song Chewing Gum on the Elvis Costello Spike record. Okay. It's Kirk Joseph on sousaphone. Yeah. No bass. And it's Mark Rabot playing guitar, and it's is one of it's it's a short little solo, and it's one of the greatest bits of guitar solo I've ever heard in my life. It's, I got to listen to it. It's you. I mean, you know, most people would say I'm nuts, but it's amazing. Yeah. What 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 is it about? Because like there is like he seems to, he's another guy that seems to chart his own world somehow. Yeah. And 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 it's it's uniquely his, and it doesn't really align with like a lot of mainstream guitar playing. Which is great. Well, he's like the Fred Friths and, yeah, the, uh, yeah. and the Snake Fingers and yeah, the yeah. Blues. And right. he's, he's like that. He just looks at the guitar differently than most other people on the planet. Yeah, I talked to Blue. That guy's great. Yeah. Have you talked to him? Oh, you yeah. know him? Oh, yeah. What he's, a nice guy. He's one of the, he's actually literally one of the, I keep saying this, but he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in the music industry. We just toured. Uh, With Frog Harrison Br- and him? Yeah, Frog Brigade did, uh, did this last summer and they were on a good portion of it. How was that? How were they? Great? They were amazing. He's like, you know, like he'd been there sort of in the back of my head and around my whole life as this guitar player that was like from outer space. And then you meet him and he's just this like good natured Southern guy. <laughs> oh, he's still from outer space. Don't, don't, <laughs> come on. <laughs> the first time he sat in with us, he was like, I'm going to come sit in. I was like, okay. And it was a, I don't remember if it was, it was one of my solo bands. Yeah. And he, sh- I said, you know, we usually kind of, you know, wear stuff on stage. He shows up with a footy onesie, wearing footy onesies yeah. that had, I think, dinosaurs on them. <laughs> and he had taken this Viking helmet and pulled one of the horns off and turned it forward. So it just had one big horn out the front. And, and there he came bounding out on stage. And I was like, this, this guy is, no wonder this guy is one of my heroes. Well, what about Buckethead? You never even see his head. I've seen his head. <laughs> 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 is it okay? It's fine. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but he's another kind of wizard, right? He's a wizard. Yeah. You, you play with him a lot? Oh, a yeah. Times. He's an old friend. He's a yeah. dear old friend. Is he a Bay Area guy? Uh, he's from down here. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like you're, you're hiding something. Well, I mean, you know, he's just, he's just this little short Filipino guy that, yeah. uh, you know. Has a thing. Has a thing. But, um, uh <laughs> He's one of those guys, I'll see him a bunch, and yeah. then I don't see him for seven years. Yeah. Then I see him a bunch. I feel like I... that's everybody with that guy. Yeah, he's, like, <laughs> he's, he's like a jackalope. Yeah. But so when Primus kind of happens, well, that's interesting about the guitar player, Lalonde, because so he took because there is something about some of the orchestration of some of that stuff that's kind of Zappa-y. Well, it comes from him. Do you all read music? Oh, hell no. I mean, I used to in but high school, but... So you couldn't, like, you if someone put music in front of you, you couldn't do it? I could do it. And yeah. It would take a long-ass time. Were you, uh, did you, I did, couldn't sight-read it. Were you around... Unless it was quarter note stuff. Right. Were you around as a proficient player when Frank was still alive? <laughs> I, you know, I'm still waiting to become a proficient player. Um, no, I'm just saying, were you on his uh, on his radar? I, I have no idea. You know, he was he, he, he was buddies with my friend um, Mike Borden, who's yeah. a drummer for Faith No More. Yeah, and because he, he, Mike was good friends with with Moon. And, yeah, and um, and you know, I've I've met Dweezil and Ahmet. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, 
Dweezil's thing open for one of my New Year's shows. Yeah, he's he, Zappa plays Zappa. He's a very intense guy, Dweezil, and very sort of like you know on top of his dad shit. Do you know like he can play that stuff? Well, it's funny because we did. I think it was Conan O'Brien years mm. ago, and he was there with Amit. Right, and doing Amit, their comedy act. Amit was on fire. I mean, Dweezil always seems pretty just focused and straight. Right. You know, he's pretty yeah. pretty. Yeah, yeah, straight, yeah. straight sure, guy. Man. Yeah. Whereas Amit was just like, Wah! he was yeah. like the Tasmanian devil yeah. or something. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And they did this thing where they totally made fun of Kenny Rogers while Kenny Rogers was on the show. It was it was amazing, but it was it was like cringe worthy amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you felt like yeah, yeah. poor Kenny, but yeah. then you're kinda like, but this is pretty badass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it just seems like you would have been one of the people that he would have asked to play with him. He, God knows he played with a thousand people. I think by the time I, anybody knew who the hell I was, yeah, he was already, already kind of, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, sick. So with Primus, did you anticipate, obviously you didn't, I mean, because that, what was it, Pork Soda, that record with the, had the, went gold really quickly? First of all, we never thought we'd have any of this shit. I remember when we got on MTV, Kirk yeah. Hammett was like, how the hell did you guys get on MTV? We haven't even got on yet because we were on 120 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. And... I remember years ago having a meeting with our um, then attorney, and it was I think it was before we put out Frizzle Fry, yeah. And somebody had offered us a publishing deal, and it was like, and he said, you know, for you to lose out on this publishing deal, yeah, you'd have to sell more than a hundred thousand records. Do you honestly believe you're going to sell more than a hundred thousand records? And we're like, holy shit, that's a lot of records. You yeah. know? <laughs> and yeah. and we didn't take the deal, thank God, because we've sold millions of records, but. It's it we're what we're what you call a catalog band. Yeah. If you get into the old technical yeah, terminology. Which means which means we trickle out it doesn't it doesn't we don't we don't like like Pork Soda sold a million records, but it took three years to do so. Right. You know. So So a catalog band, it's like my friend John Daniel said to me. I said to, like years ago when I was like much younger, I said he's in the music business, he runs uh, crush management. I said, Does Zappa make money? He's like, if you have a bin at the record store with your name on it, and there's like 50 records in there, you're making a little money. Well, you used to. Right. Now they're like business cards. Sure, but I mean, but that's what a catalog is, right? Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. That you're going, you, you just keep putting out things. But it's not like the old days. I, I, I know. I, I mean, know. not even close. Like I, I, I remember, I remember, you know, the, I always say that, you know, the cupcake was, was the record sales. Yeah. And then... The frosting was going on tour, and the right. sprinkles were T-shirts. Right. It's completely flipped around. Right. It's now it's T-shirts two, first. Stand in front of the mic with a bass in your hand. T-shirts. Sell them damn T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. And then albums are almost like business cards. You just make them to generate, really generate buzz. I mean, yeah. there's some money to it, but it's not. It's not like it was. Not so, even close. How do you hook up with Billy Strings? I'm kind of on a Billy Strings run right now. I can't stop watching the guy. Oh my god. So Billy. A uh, handful of years ago, the Delirium, the band I have with Shiner, Sean, 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 Sean yeah, Lennon. Yeah, Sean Lennon, yeah. I talked to him. He's a good egg. Great guy. Um, he, uh, we were playing this festival up in up in the Sierras, and my wife comes to me. Yeah. And she says, hey, look at this set list. And I'm looking at the set list. The first song on the set list started with L. Second song started with E. Third song started with S. Fourth song started with C. It spelled out my name. Yeah. And I was like, that's a little creepy. And I was like, and he, who the hell is it? Oh, it's Billy Strings Band. And so I met the guys that night, and I, I don't even, he, I don't barely remember re- meeting him. Yeah. And then I kept hearing he was a big fan. And my daughter, she's going to hate I tell this story. She forced me to get an Instagram account. Yeah. She's like, 
you're getting old, your fans are getting old, they're all going to die off, and there'll be no legacy for me, <laughs> yeah. and you need to get an Instagram so you get some young fans. I'm like, okay, so I get this Instagram. Because yeah. to me, uh, you know, social media was going on Craigslist looking for Chrysler parts. Yeah. But, so I get this Instagram account, and I, what the hell do I do with this thing? I don't know. So I start posting fishing pictures. Yeah. So, of course, Billy's commenting on all my fishing pictures. Yeah. So next thing you know, we start chit-chatting, and, well, come on out to the house, and, and what's jam and we did and we started working on a record and and we've become really good friends um but every time we go to record we usually end up just going fishing so. yeah is it a bluegrass record it's, it's some sort of grass record i'm not sure it's <laughs> it's a combination it's just it's, it's whatever you can imagine that the mesh of these two worlds would be but it's it is twangy i call it a twang record so when did you do the south park theme Oh, that was, well, that would have been... Was it after you, Primus broke up the first time? No, or? no, it was in the mid-90s. It was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that band was still functioning? Yes, we had a different drummer. It was when we got our new drummer. It was after Tim Alexander left the band, and we had this guy, Brain. And we just got this call one day from these college kids. They had just made this little video that was all over the internet, yeah. the Spirit of Christmas. Brian Boyatano? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, they wanted, wanted a theme song, and so... Um, we didn't. We didn't think it was going to get on television, let alone take over the world. But you, ch- you, you did it. That's pretty nice. Well, we thought it was cool. You know? Yeah. And so, uh, we did it, and it took over the world. So, <laughs> did you get compensated? Yeah, we got a few bucks out of it. Yeah, I imagine that. I assume since it's on a million times a month, even if you make a nickel, you do okay. It's, re- but it's really not like that because it's a. Uh, it's a, it's you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's yeah. cable. So, you know, it's not like, you know, my boy Danny Elfman gets that Simpsons check every yeah, time yeah. Fox, you know, because that's network. Wow. You know? Right. So. What about Danny Elfman? He's a guy, you, do you like him? Oh, yeah. I, I haven't talked to him in many years, but uh, we, we, were, we were buddies there for a while. Because it seemed like he came into, like, the, the, the list I went through when I was kind of thinking about you was, um, for some reason, the Church of the Subgenius. <laughs> Zappa, uh, Beefheart, Baloo, Pink Floyd, Ween, Waits, and Danny Elfman. That's a, that's a good list. <laughs> <laughs> but Elfman does it. Like I got to put Evil Knievel on there. Oh, Evil Knievel. I had the poster. You must sure. have the poster. We were the same age. Well, I, well, I remember the disappointment uh, and the strangeness of the Snake Canyon thing. So, yes. let's talk about this. Okay. What was the big disappointment for you? Well, it... It, the whole thing I remember seeing, I don't even remember what year that was, but I knew it, like there was no way a motorcycle was going to get over that thing. And I knew whatever the hell that thing was that he had built to get over it, you know, it didn't look like it, it didn't look like it was going to make it over. And I, I just, the, the whole thing seemed like a, a, a poorly thought out undertaking and it looked like it was designed to fail. And then when you just see that parachute with that rocket ship, Right? Am I thinking of it right? Well, I kind think of you floating. thought of it way different than I did. I was I I thought it was the greatest thing that was ever going to happen in the world, and it was on Wide Wild World of Sports or something. And they had to, yeah. and, and you unless you bought the pay per view or whatever yeah. it was, yeah. closed circuit TV back then, we had to wait two weeks to see it. Yeah, and um, uh, and in fact, my dad lives near Twin Falls, and I was driving over the bridge one day, and I'm this, you know a handful of years ago, I'm like, yeah. what the hell? Like, and you could the mound is still there that they had built that. For. <laughs> I used to draw those little ramps on my on my notebooks and shit, and my big dis- disappointment yeah. in that was, from what I remember, yeah. and this could be clouded childhood memory yeah. thing, but it seems pretty, is when they pulled him out of the water, he had urinated himself. 
And that just <laughs> bummed me out. <laughs> How could you tell he urinated himself? Did they say it? Uh, it was, it was uh, somebody said it. Oh. It was a thing. I mean, maybe I'm wrong all these years, but Before, it, that's oh, been sticking but, with me this whole time. Like, ah, oh, evil. Yeah, but the, but the guy had broken every bone in his body. I'm sure it was, he was barely working as a body. But, like, I get it. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. a little embarrassing. Yeah, you don't want your, you know. Yeah, you I've never to... seen Getty Lee wet himself, you know, and I've hung out with that guy in some pretty <laughs> heavy-duty situations. Give it time. We're all getting older. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. <laughs> but, so, but did the South Park uh, song give you some... Freedom to continue the life you wanted to live was it? That no, no, it's not even close to that. No, it's, it it because, like I said because it was cable. yeah, yeah. We yeah. got little. It was nice. It's a nice little thing that pops in once in a while. But now, I mean, that's I'm assuming that's why all these guys are on strike right now is because all that of course residual stuff's gone. You yeah, know? yeah. Now everything's streaming, so yeah, you don't see anything from that. So what what is the? But look, I'm not complaining. A yeah. First of all, yeah. They've become wonderful, wonderful friends of ours. Yeah. Matt is literally one of my favorite people. Yeah. Um, we just did that thing with him and Trey. It's been a wonderful association. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Two guys that have been able to open that many doors, push that many parameters, and become that huge. Yeah. The world needs guys like that. Yeah. You know? And I, I'm proud to say they're my buddies. Yeah. No, they're, they, and yeah, apparently the show is still pretty good when it nails it. It's, there's just, it's still, you know, how the do you maintain works. relevance for yeah. that long? It's crazy. It's one of those things that, like, I think it's a, a, a rites of passage for kids. You know what I mean? Like, oh, one of the most awkward moments in my life was watching the first one of the. So here's if you got time. Yeah, I got time. So years ago, um, when my son was about fourteen, yeah. he's in twenty-seven now. Yeah, uh, we did a gig in in Brooklyn, and there's Matt and Trey were there, and we're hanging out backstage, and somehow they're talking about. Uh, Cage starts talking about Family Guy. And they look at him and go, oh, so so what do you think of South Park? And he's like, oh, well, I'm not allowed to watch South Park. And it was like their heads were on a same servo. They just both went, and looked right at me like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? And I'm all, hey, it's getting a little warm in here, you know? <laughs> yeah. So went home, and Cage got to watch his first episode of South Park with me. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with my 14-year-old son. And it just happened to be that episode where one of the guy's dads, I can't remember which one, would sneak off to... To the, the, the steam baths. Yeah, the gay bar one. To yeah, get yeah. screwed in the ass by yeah. another Man. character. Yeah, yeah. And I'm watching this with my 14-year-old yeah. son going, <laughs> you know, I'm going, fucking Matt Stone, I'll get you someday. <laughs> but, so. You got through it? Made it through. Did the kid get and my, some laughs? And my, yeah, my, he got some laughs, and he, you know, it's just, that's part that's part of the thing. We all have to, the, our, our kids are supposed to. Do something sure. that shocks the the, the well, previous, you're a, previous generation. But you're kind of a goofball. You're just not a dirty goofball. I can get dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do all like these different configurations of people that you name <laughs> as bands? Is there like do you do you feel like they're all fundamentally different music, or do you feel like it's just an extension of what you do? I think it's like it's like you having guys on the show and gals. Yeah, it's sure every conversation is different, right? You know, and there's a there's an element there's a there's a there's a thread that goes through that's consistent because you're who you are, right? But you know, music is a conversation, right? And the the more varied and the more diverse the background or different from 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 you that 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 the converse, other conversationalist is. The, the more varied that conversation. It's so was. weird to listen to like the uh, Claypool Lennon delirium because like you know Sean sounds like his dad, and you know and I talked to him about this and the sort of it seems like the way you guys play together, 
you know, chord structure wise and, and, and in terms of the production, there's definitely, you know, uh, other than his voice, more than just that, a Beatles element to it. Do you feel that? I definitely do, but I'm also, I'm not so much anymore, but I was very surprised how much of his mom is in this stuff. Oh, yeah, well, that's good. You know? Yeah. Because she's the one, I mean, she's the one that turned John into what he became. That Yeah, she's a, like a, a, a sort of a boss artist. Yeah, she's a real risk taker. And you can see that in, in Shiner as well. Yeah, yeah. But there have been moments, there was one time, because he doesn't really like to play the Beatles stuff so much because, and and this is another thing I learned is you know, most most people and I was guilty of it as well. Look at someone like Sean and now Harry Waters is in my band. Is is who's that? J- uh, Rogers Roger, kid. Rogers son. No kidding. Oh yeah, and um, the uh, you think oh they, all the doors open for these guys. No, it's the polar opposite. It's a weight. They get this. They get more scrutiny than any of us that started from with a clean slate. Sure. And and I. I, I saw that when we went and saw um, uh, Paul's son play at a little club one place, and it was yeah. the people that came to hear Paul McCartney, and they got this guy who was it was cool, but it was yeah. more grungy, you know. And and I could just see him like, oh, the apple didn't fall close to that tree, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure Shiner gets that too. It's just if you're Mozart's son, what the hell are you going to do? You know, there's a yeah, that's, that's a big shadow. And, and Harry is Beethoven's son, you know. So yeah, I talked to so like. There, it, who who said it? I was it was Duncan Jones, Bowie's kid, mm-hmm. said that it's kind of a small club. Because when I was talking to Sean, literally his phone rang, and it was Paul McCartney's kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, the wonderful thing about Shiner, and we've become—he's like my brother. Mm-hmm. He literally, him and my kids, they you know they, him and my 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 daughter bicker with each other like they're siblings. Right. He's very close to my family, and um, so. We were having a talk one day, and somehow it came up about, you know, because yeah. he's met my dad, and, yeah. I, and we're talking about my dad and how close I was and what a good dad he was. And I was like, and I, I, and I said to him, I said, so for you, then who was, who was like your father yeah. here? And he kind of thinks about it for a second and does the big shiner big eyes. Yeah. And he goes, you know, it would probably be like, you know, either David Bowie or Andy Warhol. And I was like, who the fuck says that? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like his reality yeah. growing up is so different than the rest of our reality. Yet he is one of the, one of the most humble, down-to-earth, yeah. approachable people in, in any form of celebrity that yeah. I've ever met. Yeah. And how do you work with him? Do you guys co-write it all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you just jam? And figure it out? Um, well, usually the whole thing started because he his band opened for... Ghost, Ghost of a Saber Tiger opened for um, Primus. Yeah. And one day I was twanging away on this Dobro bass that I have, and he had an acoustic guitar, and we kind of went in the back of the bus, and the interesting things were happening. Like, it wasn't just... Yeah. It wasn't just average shit. He's, yeah. He's... That, and that's why I think the Yoko thing, because there's yeah. this angular stuff was coming out of it. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And so I said, let's get together sometime, come out to Rancho. I got my place, Rancho Relaxo. Yeah. And... Let's see what we'll see what happens. Yeah. And he came up, and we started working on the first Delirium record. And he brought in a few songs, and I brought in a few songs, and then we worked on a couple of songs together. And that's kind of our formula: uh-huh. is he'll show up with three or four things, and I'll have three or four things, and we just start building on it, and then bouncing lyrical ideas off each other. And so it's totally collaborative. Yeah. Is that the way it is with most of the bands? 
Um, it depends on the band. I mean, a lot of the Primus stuff over the years, it either came from me or it came from my jam. But yeah. later years, Lara Lalonde has been bringing in a lot more stuff, which I think is amazing because yeah. it makes me play differently. Yeah. You know, it's like when I'm playing to support someone else's vision, yeah. it's a much different. I'm more like a Tony Levin, you know, it's much more. Whereas if it's coming from me, I'm up front. Yeah. And I'm also feeling all the little bits and pieces and the grace notes in between where yeah. if I'm supporting I don't need to worry about that stuff so and that's it's weird because I mean in, in you know the bass is I think historically a support instrument yeah, oh yeah I mean that's the way it was sort well of, until like guys like Larry Graham came sure. along and you know Stanley Clark yeah and turned it on yeah. turned it on its ear and you're like yeah. holy shit look yeah. at that yeah or Getty and Chris Squire you know right so, and, and Flea. Like, Flea, and, for sure. And yeah. uh, I always forget his name. Uh, is it Leroy Gorman from uh, Bow Wow Wow? I was always a big fan. Really? Oh, yeah. The guy's for, amazing. Really? Yes. I just was listening to I Want Candy, their cover of that. Yeah, listen to the bass. It's insane. It's it's, insane. it's crazy. Yeah. But, I mean, just kind of thinking about, because you did, what, three Waits records? Mm-hmm. And, like, I think maybe more, actually, than that. And how does that happen? Well, so... Years ago, we had the song Tommy the Cat, and we had released, our first record was a live record. We'd put it out ourselves, My d- money my dad loaned us. And then we, with that money, we recorded Frizzle Fry, our first yeah. real record, and we held off from putting the song Tommy the Cat on it because it was our popular song, and we yeah. wanted to wait till we had a major label. Yeah, right. So we saved it for the Interscope release, and I remember talking to Tom Wally, who's probably the reason I'm still here um he's from interscope yeah 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 and he uh i said you know i want to do something special with yeah. tommy the cat like maybe get someone like tom waits to be the voice of tommy the cat and he's like well why don't we get tom waits i was like what do you mean how you can do that what do you mean what are you talking about so we sent him this i wrote this note and sent it to him yeah. and we were recording and i came home laura and i were roommates yeah i hit the it was back when we had phone machines. Yeah, sure. Hit the phone machine. Hey, uh, Les, this is uh, Tom. Tom Waits. Uh, yeah, I got your note. <laughs> yeah, this would be a wonderful thing. Yeah, let's do this thing. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> I immediately called Learn. So he came in was the voice of Tommy the Cat. <laughs> and I ended up moving up kind of. We live in the similar area. And he needed musicians, so we just became friends. And I've, I've known his kids since they were little, and they're all, you know. And they're neighbors? Like I mean, neighbors where I live is if you're within, you know, eight miles of each other. You know? Well, yeah, but that's close. Yeah. And he records at his place, too, right? So there's... He, his... has, I, he, he has a few different... He bounces around, but, but there he, are... he has this little spot now, yes. But there's a possibility where he could be like, come over and play a thing. Uh, sometimes. I mean, it's it's been a little while since, since yeah. I've gotten that call. But Yeah. <laughs> And but what, we get together and do our things, and he's he's a friend. Him him and Kathleen are good friends of ours. Yeah, and as a, like you're both band leaders, so how does it work in the studio with him? I just sit there and just just go, oh my god, this is amazing. There <laughs> 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 is Tom Waits. Sure does he does he generally lay tracks down with all the music live with many it's, people? It's or, different all yeah, the time. Oh really? You know, and sure, he probably doesn't want me talking about it too much. About either. his process, he's he's he likes to do his thing. You know, I know I'd love to talk to him, but he's not. He, he doesn't do this. No, he's 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 uh, he's Tom Waits. He's Tom Waits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the Sasquatch of music. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So what what is the Frog Brigade? It, it seems like it's it's lasted in forms as as long as Primus in a way, right? It's been around a long time. It's been around a long time, but you know, Frog Brigade is sort of an ambiguous thing. It's okay. Like, it's more of a an idea. Well, it's it's all it's basically my solo stuff, but it it it. 
it hark it 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 implies that we're going to do some of the early stuff, which was some of the the like the Floyd cover, which we right. did animals yeah. in its entirety. Yeah, and um, so you do animals in its entirety. Correct. I knew that, and you've done twenty one twelve too, right? Uh, no, we did uh, Farewell to Kings. Okay, so like animals is like my favorite Floyd record. What? Oh, really? Yeah, totally. Like there's something about the guitar on uh, I think Pigs on the Wing. I that, agree. That's like unbelievable. And I'll, I I will listen to it all the way through every time I listen to it. You have to. That's yeah. the rules. Yeah. I taught my kids that. Well, my son would listen. My daughter didn't care. Yeah. But there's certain records you have to listen to. They're like movies. Yeah. You don't you don't watch Doctor Strange Love in bits and pieces. Right. You have to watch it all the way. Through. Yeah. And I and I do it fairly regularly uh, with an, with animals a few times a year anyways. Yeah. What 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 is it? Just your relationship with that record that makes you want to play it? Did you play it? How much did you tweak it? Uh, we uh, well, how much did we? Uh, uh, <laughs> did uh, you um, clay pool it? <laughs> yeah. How much did we intentionally tweak it? Yeah. Um, well, basically, what happened is Primus broke up in the end of the '90s. We didn't say we broke up. We said we went on hiatus, but that yeah. was because we were too chicken shit to to pull the plug. But we were. We came very close to not playing together anymore because yeah. we weren't getting along. It was yeah. just a, it just was a mess. Yeah. So there I am. I was scared. I was like, "What the hell am I going to do now?" You know. And I had done this thing where it became Oysterhead. I had done this jam thing for the because my manager worked with Galactic and he yeah. was into that world. And they asked me to do a jam thing in New Orleans. Well, that became Oysterhead with Trey Anastasio and Stuart Copeland. And all of a sudden, I was getting asked by these these different. Um, festivals to put together a project for their festival and yeah. i did this one that's interesting to have like a deadline to have to like you know they want something you're like i gotta do something new i got well it's something. a jam thing they basically want oh, you to they, come they and jam to, oh. hey call some of your buddies and get a good jam oh going. it's a jam okay and yeah. so i f- i did one for mountain air and it was tim alexander the original primus drummer jack irons who everybody knew from the chili peppers and uh pearl jam and yeah. 11 and then my buddy merv on guitar and then scarex on sax and it was, I was going to call it the Thunder Brigade, but Michael Bailey was like, ah, you know, you're the primus guy. The hippies are already going to be scared. Don't, you know, you can't call it Thunder Brigade. And I was like, all right, Frog Brigade, because it's Calaveras County, the famous jumping frog Calaveras County. Yeah. Well, so then when primus broke up. You don't want to scare the hippies. Yeah, I don't want to scare the hippies. So I, when primus broke up, yeah. I was scared. I had two little kids. I had yeah. a big-ass mortgage. And all of a sudden, this thing I've been building since 1984 was gone. Yeah. And so I said, Fuck this. If I sit around, I'm just going to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. So I got all my favorite musicians together, stuck them in this old Airstream motorhome that I had, and we drove up and down the coast playing bars. Well, I got a keyboardist. It was Jeff Comenti, and I said, if I ever have a keyboardist, I want to play Pigs because it's my favorite Floyd song. So we learned Pigs, and I thought, well, shit, let's learn the whole record. Then we don't have to pay an opening band, Yeah, and we just do two sets, <laughs> yeah. and that's how it all started. And then we recorded it years ago, and it won a jammy... And now we're doing it's it. available on record. Your animals, yeah, it's live frogs set. One. Oh, okay, all right. But we're, I think we're going to release another version, another because I think it's better now. To be honest with you, your your animals, the new the animals of this with this band. This Why? band, well, first of all, this band is really spectacular. It, Who's in this one? It's Sean Lennon, yeah. on guitar. Um, this is Frog Brigade. This is Frog Brigade, yeah. right now. This is the current touring. Yeah. Harry Waters on keys. Um, That's Roger's kid. Correct. Is he um, mad at his dad? Yeah, I don't know if I should go there. All right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know Rogers is mad at his. <laughs> um, 
the uh, uh, Mike Dillon on who's I've been working with him for years. He plays crazy vibes and marimba and uh-huh. tabla and amazing junkyard per- percussion. And How's you, who's that guy? Is he just a guy you met through? I've played with him for years. He was in uh, I met him through Garage Atois yeah. when they opened for Oysterhead. But yeah. he, he plays with everybody. He used to have a band called Billy Goat back in the day. That was pretty popular. Okay. Um, and then Paolo Baldi on drums, who I've been playing with for years, and mm-hmm. he used to play with Cake, and he had a band, Deadweight. Um, so, and we were supposed to have Skarek, this in, my f- insane sax player yeah. buddy, but he f- screwed up his back and couldn't do the tour. So I'm uh. like, holy shit, because he's my super solo yeah. monster. You need that one. And so Sean and Harry had to really step up on this thing, and I was a little nervous because I'd only heard Harry play parts, you know, never really jammed with him. Yeah. And Shiner, you know, he's always going, oh, you know, I'm not as good as Buckethead or whatever he yeah. says. He's Mr. Humble, Humble yeah. Mumble. <laughs> and they both really have stepped up on this shit. Yeah. It's, it's a really amazing band. It's huh. an incredible band. And One of the best bands I've ever had. And you're doing the whole album again. Correct. Well, only through uh, this next tour. Okay. Fall. We're doing an evening. We just did a t- two-month tour with an opening band. We had Fishbone on a part of it. We had Remain in Light on a lot of it. Uh Neil Francis, uh, which Neil Francis, he does that New Orleans rock thing. I like that guy. He has a whammy bar on his on his yeah. Uh, he's an interesting guy on, on his, his uh, um, clavinet, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but this next time we're going out, we've realized we we want to do a much longer set, so we're just doing an evening with. So you're going to get a shitload of of frog music. So not just uh, animals, animals, and then a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, and. When you did, now, have you heard from Roger about your animals? No. <laughs> I don't know if I want to hear from Rogers about my animals. No, Gilmore or anybody? <laughs> no. Yeah. I like Gilmore, the way he plays the guitar. No, he's, I'm, I, look, those guys are heroes of mine, of course. Yeah. Um, I see, are you a metal guy? M-E-D-D-L-E? The, oh, yeah, the, of course. Right? Because that sounds like the one, right? I mean, in a way, it's not animals, but I mean, in terms of I could see that being inspiring somehow. That that bass is heavy in that. Man. Oh yeah, I mean that whole album is. Yeah. is unbelievable. I mean, it's hard to pick a bad. Yeah. Floyd. Were record. you a Barrett Floyd guy too? Yeah, I mean, yeah. not as much as my youth. What you grew up with? Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, but yeah, of course. I mean, I even liked Momentary Lapse of Reason, which 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 I get shit for. From Why some no? There's people. there's like two like. Big songs on there, isn't there? It's a great record. I mean, Tony Levin's on it, so. And well, yeah, what's your relationship with Crimson? Well, um, obviously Adrian's a buddy, but right. Well, me and Sean play some early Crimson in Delirium. We do Court of the Crimson King. Oh, okay. Um, and because he, he was always an early Crimson, I turned him on to to eighties Crimson. He turned me on to early Crimson because I didn't really listen to much. Early you just Crimson. listened to Blue Crimson. Yes, that was okay. My, that was my shit. Yeah. Now, do you do you you fly fish? Right. I do. Do you tie flies? I used to. You don't do it anymore? Uh, it's easier just to buy them, but, you know, I have all my fly tie and stuff. I just haven't done it in a long time. Yeah, it would make the little woolly worms. I made all kinds of shit. When we were touring in the early days, we yeah. had this motorhome, and we'd do shows, yeah. and me and Lur were always wide awake after shows, so yeah. we would drive yeah. and while everybody else slept, and we had a beatbox between us with headphones. We yeah. usually listened to Floyd, yeah. and he'd be driving, and I would hang a mag light from the visor yeah. and clamp my fly clamp to the glove yeah. box lid yeah. and tie flies all night. Usually stoned out of my mind. Yeah. I I, I did it at camp. Are you, I used to, you, you got to be careful because you can snap the fly into just a shred of garbage. Like if you whip it too hard, it'll pop the fly apart. Have you noticed that? Well, yeah, I, I'm, 
You're better at that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some, you know, Amateur a little shape. practice there, buddy. Yeah. Well, I was a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, actually, in fact, this last tour, that was one of the saving graces is after about six weeks, it was getting, you know, it was a great band, but it was like, shit, I want to be home. But we had three days off in um, Montana, and I have a couple really good buddies who, my buddy who used to have a TV show, he took me, called Fly Fishing the World. Yeah. And he has a fish camp there near Butte, I think. It's yeah. a big whole river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spent three days fishing. Yeah. Shiner came too, um, but- Did he it like was, it? It was amazing. Oh, he, yeah. yeah, he enjoys it. In a river or a lake? It was a river. Oh, that seems hard. Did you catch any? Oh, yeah, tons. We were drifting, you know. Oh, yeah. In fact, when we, whenever I go through Missoula, that's the- yeah. That's the Blackfoot, whereas you know, that's river runs through it. Yeah, that was all, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, it. Norman McLean, all that stuff. That's that's the uh, fly fishing paradise. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. All right. So you're just touring. That's what's going on, and you're recording with Billy. Uh, there's a half finished project with Billy, but like I said, we always end up fishing. Yeah. Um, and. Then there's, we're working on it. We're almost done with this Delirium record, actually. We just need to kind of get together. What's this, the fourth one? Or? This will be the third, third real one. We did yeah. a couple of covers, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we, we got to finish that up. And what was that thing you did uh, in support of uh, Ukraine with the uh, Gogol Bordello guy? Well, so when all that was first going down, um, I would go back and forth with Eugene because a couple good friends of ours are from Poland. Mm-hmm. And so there was this worry about, oh, Poland's next and what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And they're good buddies with Eugene as well, Eugene Hutz from yeah. Gogol. So we're going texting back and forth and I was kind of drunk and he was kind of drunk. I'm like, we need to get, you know, because we were all blown away by Zelensky, just yeah. just the fortitude of this guy. You know? yeah. I don't need a ride. I need some weapons. You know, yeah. it's like, well, you know, give me liberty <laughs> yeah. or give me death. That's a pretty yeah. good quote. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, so... I was joking. I was like, yeah, we should do a song. You know, this guy's got some big balls. You know, he's got iron balls. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So we wrote this song, The Man with the Iron Balls, and <laughs> Shiner's on it. And I got, you know, Billy's actually on it as well. So, yeah. And uh, we just did it. And the conspiranoid thing, was that like a reaction to the current political situation? I mean, it's a reaction to, I mean, I don't know how it is with your friends yeah. or relatives. Yeah. You know, there's there's just people that I, I it's gotten better now, yeah, but especially bit. after, during and immediately after COVID, it was very, very difficult to talk to some of my friends and relatives and whatnot. You had friends who went Q? Uh, I don't know if they went Q, but they went, you know. Yeah. They went P. They, <laughs> I mean, yeah. they went they went a little pre Q. Yeah. Um, just a lot of just all this conspiracy shit that's not necessarily based in any. You know, I'm a. I, it always amazes me because I, you know, look, I play the bass. I can do a lot of other things. My dad said, "Hey, this bass thing is great, but learn a trade." And I know a lot of trades. I mixed auto paints. I was a carpenter. I did all kinds of shit. Bench tech. But you know what? I play the bass. Yeah. If you want to know anything about the bass, Mark, you give me a call, and I probably can help you out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when when I when all this COVID shit was going down, when I, you know, I first I talked to my doctor. Don't always agree with him. Yeah. But then I called my buddy who graduated from Columbia Med and has been a been a pediatric doc in Oakland for the past thirty years. Yeah. And I called a buddy of mine who's a brain surgeon in Manhattan, and another buddy of mine whose dad is literally a Nobel prize-winning research doc at Duke University. Okay, to find out what was going on. To find out what I should do yeah. for me and my family. They're the, they're, they've devoted their lives to doing sure. what they do. Yeah. I devoted my life to yeah. playing the bass. That's who I'm going to rely on. Right. Not my buddy, 
surfer buddy who read some shit on the internet. I'm just, you know, I love him. He's a great guy. But I'm going to listen to these other people, yeah. you know? And they may not be right, but right. they're more apt to be right. Right. Or correct, I should right. say. So, That's it's that like, and I told my father this. I'm like, Dad, you were a transmission mechanic for 40 some odd years. You're the guy I'm going to talk to. You're a professional. You dedicated your life to what you do. Yeah. You're going to know more about this than just about anybody. I'm going to trust your opinion. I'm yeah. not going to just... You're not going to say, like, which, how do you feel about the vaccine? Well, but that's, you get my point. <laughs> I did. Correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do get your point. And that was what conspiranoia was. Yes, it was some of the things I was hearing. And so I yeah. wrote it, and it was actually much harsher when I first wrote it. And my son, who's become a really great sounding board for me, yeah. was like, you know, Dad, people are tired of this shit. Nobody wants to hear this shit. You yeah. know, just, and so I made it a little more lighthearted. Yeah, okay. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about Bill Gates putting microchips sure, in all the chicken yeah. pot pies and things yeah. like that. You right, know? yeah. So, And that was that the first time Primus had been together for a while? Uh, no, we've been actually been... Around? Yeah, we're like this year we took the year off yeah. so I can go do... You know, you got to let it breathe once yeah, in a while. Because yeah. A, I don't want to be tired of it. If I'm tired of it, the audience is going to know I'm tired of it. And they're going to go, what, what's and this And it's bullshit? just, how many of the original guys just... It's the, all three of us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, original is, is subjective. Right. Because Herb is like our eighth drummer. But right. he's the one everybody knows from right. the first record. Okay. Now, do you fly back? I do. We're going to go get some lunch, and then I hop in the bird, and away we go. All three of you? No, no, no. Um, those guys just picked me up from the airport. Oh. Or Brad picked me up from the airport. And how long of a flight? It's about two and a half hours. But we might do some... I'm the re, So I flew down with my CFI, because I got my pilot's license, but now I'm working on my IFR. I don't know if you know What's what that, that is. Instrument flight reference, which means I can fly into clouds. That's what I'm working on. That's what I, I don't have that. So you're practicing. Yes. So I brought my CFI down so I can f- do instrument flight, which basically they put these goggles on me. I can't see outside the plane and I have to fly at all with just using. Oh, so, oh your instructor. That's a certified flight instructor. Is Correct. that what that stands for? Yes. So he's hanging out at the airport? He's at the airport. We're going to get lunch and then we're going to fly back and land at a few airports on the way back so I can practice all this. Did you stuff. practice that on the way down? We, we wanted to get down here. It's pretty, know. right? It must be beautiful. Not when you got the foggles on. All I can see is inside the dam. Right, but like. It's literally like this. But you do fly along the coast? It didn't matter. I couldn't see it. Oh, I thought you said you didn't do it on the way down. No, I didn't do any, um, we didn't do any stops. Oh, okay. We just did from from Santa Rosa to Burbank. So I was doing it, but on the way back, we're going to hit a few stops oh. to get some more practice. Well, I'm glad I offered you this amazing opportunity. Yeah, man. To- Kill, <laughs> killing a couple birds with a stone here. <laughs> well, have a good tour, the rest of the tour. Thank you much. <laughs> There you go. Les Claypool, right? Uh, again, as I mentioned before, you can get tickets for the Fearless Flying Frog Brigade tour at lesclaypool.com. And, okay, look, Mark Rebo I've been a fan of for years, okay? So, yeah, so, like, two weeks after I talked with Les, it just worked out. He was just off the road. Uh, he has a new album out called Connection that he released with his solo project, uh, ceramic dog, and uh, this is me uh, talking to Mark Rebo. So you're you're back with Gibsons? Uh, not a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, but for for the stuff with ceramic dog, I've like returned, returned, swum upstream to whence I was spawned. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, why why on that record? What like what what makes a change? I mean, 
have the entire spectrum of Mark Rebo sounds. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's not actually I I, I went back after that record to be yeah. honest because uh, just because, but when I tried to tour with it, I realized nothing else would do. I've I've been you know like kind of resisting a certain straight-ahead metal sound for yeah. years. But then I thought, why? It's so much fun. So, But it seems like that record, it's kind of interesting because, you know, you've, you've done so much stuff over so long a time, so much different stuff. But it seems like this record, not knowing uh, a lot of the solo records, it seems like there's a piece on there that represents everything that you do fairly clearly. Because I read the book... And I can see where you're coming from, but it seems like every song on that record is distinct and honors some part of where you come from. Yeah, it, it kind of wound up that way, I think. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Like, you're a little older than me, but, you know, I get the sort of Jewish, Eastern European, Lower East Side trip. You know, my grandparents spoke Yiddish, and it's like, it's a very specific thing. And I think one of the, the things that's beautiful about the book and also about the world you came from musically is that you... Uh, you respect the sort of mystical reality of the Lower East Side. Yeah, I mean it's it's more than a it's more than a uh, an address. Yeah. It's a kind of a yeah it has a kind of place in the mythology. Right. Yeah. Like, but it's like it's not just music. Like it goes back, right? Because you do in the book you talk about you know the Yiddish theaters and all this stuff and all that. Beca- I became very aware of that, but I don't know the specific history of it. But I felt like I belonged there. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know the specific history of it either until yeah. I, you know, when I when I moved back. And the funny thing is, like, a, like a lot of people, I said I moved back even though I'd never lived there. My right. grandparents had lived there. Sure, but it felt like okay, I'm I'm moving back. Yeah, yeah. You know, and where'd you come from originally? I am from New Jersey. I was born in Newark. I was born in Jersey City. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Homeboy. <laughs> sure, but you lived there. You grew up there. No, I. Um, well, my parents moved out of Newark when I was pretty young. Yeah. Lived in Orange, wound up in South Orange. Yeah. Um, but you're Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Do you love Jersey? Well, I, love would be a very strong and incorrect word. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, as as we say, I'm, yeah. I'm from Jersey and I intend to stay that way. Yeah. Right. But you, but, don't, you don't live there. No, I don't live there. And- and I don't, I don't know. Like, again, it was a place for my for my parents. It yeah. was a place to, um, <clears throat> you know, they liked some idea of getting out of New York. They were from they were from Brooklyn and the Lower East Side. Sure, either you go to the island or you go to Jersey. Right, right. But the, it it wasn't a place in itself. It right. wasn't. It was a it was a a place where you could have a bigger house and and yeah. they, they imagined clean air and yeah. they, and they imagined getting away from crime and yeah. stuff but it didn't happen well let's just say that the kids in my high school had better drugs than anybody in New York. anybody else anybody <laughs> that I talked to in New York and there was also like uh, you know good produce in New Jersey that's what i remember Tomatoes. Yeah, tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the, what they say, the garden steak. Right, the beefsteak yeah. tomato, the big one. Yeah. Yeah. That was I, a, That must be in a different part of New Jersey, though, than we were from because, I don't know. No farms where you were? Not not too many, and yeah. I don't know if I would eat what they grew if if there was. Oh, I don't have any idea of the orange. My, uh, my grandparents lived in... 
Compton Lakes. So it was oh little, yeah, that's yeah. that's true. That's a little more country. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So when do you like see the the journey of the guitar playing? You know, I talked to Les Claypool recently. Oh, and uh, he said his favorite gu- guitar solo of all time is one of yours. It's on Spike. It's on Chewing Gum. Oh yeah, <laughs> like that. Like out of all of them. That's what locked in with that guy. Crazy. You start playing guitar regular, right? Like normal guitar. Um, yeah, I started, I mean, when I was 10, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't have much going on stylistically. Yeah. Well, although who knows? <laughs> yeah. So when do you start playing with people? Probably when I was 12. Mm. You know, I, I, I mean, I think, you know, I learned to play, I, I, I talk about it in the book, but like my teacher was yeah. a classical guitarist sure. and a very particular kind of classical guitarist. Franz Caseus was a, still known as the father of Haitian classical guitar. Yeah, he's the guy, like I had to go get turned on to him. That happened for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, No, everybody should be turned on But it's to so him. interesting how that came about. I mean, how'd you hook up with that guy of all guys? Well, he was a friend of my parents and my aunt and uncle. It's in a, the city? Yeah, yeah. It's like It's like... A kind of a classic New York yeah. story because, uh, well, it's a long story. My my father was a doctor and right. he interned at Harlem Hospital. What kind of doc? He uh, he general? Had, uh, no, no, kidney doctor. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He was like you know, I've, when I was a kid, like there was always these. He was doing research. Yeah, he did research on what later became. Uh, dialysis machine. So oh, wow. like, when I was a kid, there was I, we always had to know that stuff in the refri- refrigerator. It looks, it may look like orange juice, but don't <laughs> drink it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be very careful. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. So he had a friend at Harlem yeah, Hospital right. who was who was a doctor, but who was also a jazz pianist. Uh-huh. And so, anyways, they wound up at a party. They met Franz. Franz was looking for a, a place to stay, and my aunt and uncle. Uh, connected him with an apartment and became lifelong friends kind of one of these you know uh new york new york uh displaced families yeah but like his like wh- his story is 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 very interesting cuz he was sort of in exile right yeah not officially right. in exile but you know like like I, I don't know. James Baldwin talks about this about having had to go to Paris in yeah. order to write about America. Huh, yeah. And so with Franz, it was kind of the same thing. He he some he knew he wanted to write to create Haitian classical guitar music, yeah, yeah. which didn't exist before then. But he kind of had to get out of his scene to do it. He he also he was like the son of like a mid-level civil servant and he was in medic he was in law school yeah. in Port-au-Prince and yeah. they, let's just say his family weren't too happy about the fact that he dropped out of law school yeah. in order to play guitar right. so for i think a lot of reasons he wanted to get out of uh Haiti. Also, he wanted to come to the States to meet Fats Waller. <laughs> yeah, d- did he? No. F- fat, it turns out fat, Fats Waller died the year he arrived. But, um, you know, he always wore nice hats anyways. But it's so fortuitous in some, like, like how that all works out because who's who gets that opportunity to learn that kind of guitar? A kid from New Jersey, 12 years old. Exactly. And and you're it's a completely different approach to timing and to rhythm and and he's uh, he's embarking on some creative journey that's ambitious. I mean, there was this one guy um who was in Haiti yeah. in the 30s who taught that whole generation to 
to play classical well, music. Well, what made it different? What made it, what infused it with uh, some sort of Caribbean sensibility? Well, he did. Yeah. Because what, what happened, I mean, it seems super obvious yeah. now. Yeah. But um, this was the time of, you know, the 20, 20 late 20s and 30s yeah. were the time of, I may Cesar, I'm, I may be mispronouncing, but the negritude movement yeah. in the arts, which started to, you know, in which um, both in the Caribbean and in Africa, artists, young artists were starting to say, let's stop imitating the European scene and yeah. let's start looking to our own, to our own uh, folk music yeah. and, and our own culture for inspiration. Yeah. So, so Franz did... You know, like for Haiti, what let you know, um, let's say Villa Lobos had done with Brazilian okay, yeah. music, you know, or Bella Bartok with Hungarian. You know, he he started to look at Haitian folk sources, you know, to to inspire him. And when you were a kid, how much of this is is relayed to you, or is this something you had a backload? Well, I'm. I mean, I didn't know any of the. I didn't know the intellectual history sure. of it, okay? Right. But, but, yeah. but like when I was a kid, when I was six years old, like, I, you know, in, in retrospect, um, Franz must have been bored because he, he always brought the guitar to like family dinners and yeah. would be sitting there playing while other people were arguing about politics sure. or something. And I would be standing there listening to him. Like yeah. I was just amazed by the whole thing. Yeah. So I just... I don't know. I guess I just absorbed it somehow. So you, and so you learned how to play on a classical. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't. I didn't ask to do lessons with Franz because I wanted to learn. I wasn't interested in classical at all. At yeah. the same time, I was listening to the radio. Sure. I wanted to be Keith Richards. I still yeah. want to be Keith. Who Richards. doesn't? <laughs> you know. I've got three Telecasters, and then I got a Les Paul Junior over there with five strings. There you go. <laughs> But so, what is the transition? So, you, how long do you spend with him? Well, I I studied with him, went into New York, take lessons every week for about three years. Yeah. But, but by the first year and a half, I was already, you know, I got some cheap electric guitar and was playing in a garage band in Jersey. Yeah, in yeah. Jersey, that's where they have garages. Sure. You yeah, know, it's that's fertile territory. The beginning of the garage band movement. It, it's one of the necessary ingredients. Sure. So you're doing the classical thing and you're learning, but then you're just. Doing the hits. Yeah, yeah. So I had, you know, my friends, uh, my my band uh, Love Gun. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, 1970-something? No, no. It was a little before that. Like oh, yeah? Six, uh, I, maybe original, maybe we changed the name to Love Gun later, but, you, you know, you have to... You know, you have to be like a 15-year-old yeah. New Jersey kid in a garage to call your band Love Gun, Of course. Right? What were you playing? Oh, well... I remember the actually the first tunes that we the first tune that we learned were uh, Booker T and the MGs, uh, Green Onions. Sure, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, did and you have an organ player? Yes, we did. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Saul Schwartz. Saul Schwartz. What's he up to? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I think he became a brain surgeon. <laughs> oh, but he's not playing. I don't think he's playing much organ. So I guess what's interesting, given where you you've gone with the guitar, is that you know you start off. Like traditionally, other than taking lessons from France, that that somehow is in your brain. But then you're you're playing R and B hits, and you're you're getting that experience and just doing the road. So, at what point does it start to shift for you in terms of expanding, you know, how you approach the the instrument? Right. Well, 
I'll answer that question, but first, yeah. lest lest I give the impression that we had some kind that I had some kind of taste yeah. at the age of fifteen. Yeah. The third song we learned was Inagata De Vida. Okay. Oh, well that takes so, up a lot of time. You know, so that, that's good. That did. <laughs> but to be honest with you, I still like that too. Sure. That fills out the set. You can kinda of go all the way with that. Yeah. Half hour if you want. Oh, even longer, you know. <laughs> even longer. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Uh, um, so, so let's see. So, so you go to you're playing with an R and B band, and you talk about playing with horns, right? Which was kind of mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a, a life changing experience. Why you think? Well, I don't know because you know I'd heard these things on the radio, but sure. but in like the little bands I was working with, you know, like we we just we couldn't afford to have extra members playing horns. Yeah, you know, right, and also like. Well, to to be honest with you, like th- those particular, that particular band, I didn't work with them much. I just sub substituted with that band in Maine. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it was an R and B band in yeah. Maine. I'd been working with like you know other white hippies, yeah. you know, playing sure. whatever whatever we could play. Um, I mean, we tried to play Stevie Wonder tunes or yeah. something, but but these guys, I think they were from Georgia. Yeah. And I don't know what they were doing in Maine. You know? By touring. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, trying to live. You so know? you sat in there? Yeah. Well, I I, I mean, I, I was called to substitute. I guess their regular guitarists couldn't make it. Yeah. And so, I don't know. It was It's it's such a simple thing, really. It's yeah. It's just that I'd never worked with a horn section. Right. And, and it was that whole call and response thing, you know, like, like I felt, okay, this is what it's about. Right. Like yeah. the, the the sort of dialogue of music. Yeah, I think it's not, you know, I mean, it's communication between the players, but it's also kind of a theater, I think. Mm. You know, I, I, I noticed something um, that, like, with blues-based playing, like, usually the rhythm section is chugging along, yeah. playing something repetitive. Sure. Yeah. And usually it sounds a little bit like a train because yeah. that was, like, during the period that blues-based music was developing, yeah. that was what symbolized modernity. Yeah. But in in the music, it it's kind of like that's fate. Yeah. That's the uh, inexorable uh, thing that's coming towards you. That train is it just keeps chugging towards you. And then the soloist is kind of uh, arguing with it. Yeah, yeah. Or the, yeah. the soloist is trying to convince it to stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, you know, yeah. so so there's using every possible strategy, threatening, down, yeah. you know, like, or pleading yeah. or seducing sure. or begging. And then, um, then at a certain point, the soloist realizes that they're screwed, yeah. that the train is not going to stop no matter what they do. And then at that moment... There's the the scream. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The build. The the final thing. The final. Well, then it. You know. Then there's a little bit of whimpering, and yeah, then yeah. the solo ends. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, sure. I mean, that's almost like uh, you know Hendrix kind of mastered that in a way. Absolutely. And that scream could go on for a long time. And yeah. Go, go to outer space with it. Mm-hmm. Like when you're a kid, though, who are your players? Um. Well, I I saw, I saw, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but. Yeah. Uh, like I was at Woodstock, yeah. You know, me yeah. and Saul, who I the organist, Saul Schwartz? yeah, f- um, who I sure. mentioned, yeah. We were like, I don't know, we were like fifteen or something, and, and you we, went up there, yeah. And 
I, there's a lot of embarrassing aspects to this story because one of them is that we paid. Yeah. You know, like, so <laughs> we actually paid, and then we yeah. showed up on the bus yeah. with these tickets. Yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. and like a couple of good Jewish we, boys with yeah, their tickets. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like yeah. and you know the the the. We're, the section of Love Gun and with our tickets, and there was no place to give them. And, of course, we took the brown acid immediately upon arrival. Oh, really? And Yeah. And, you know, it was like, it was kind of a big disaster. So, like, we lost one of our sleeping bags, and it was, like, really... So you really, no recollection of the music? Yeah, no, I, I remember a lot of the music. Um, uh, but by the third morning, like, when we woke up, and it was wet, and, like, the place... Smelled terrible yeah. because the sanitation wasn't really great, right. and it was like muddy, and there yeah. was like bikers on amphetamines, yeah. throwing themselves into chain link fences and pissing all over everything. Oh my god! So, anyways, we left. Yeah, and like as we were walking away, you know, we said, "Okay, we love Jimi Hendrix, but um, but but like if I want to if I want to hear Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock, I'll just you know like." get a bucket of mud, stick my head in it, and put some Jimi Hendrix on the record play. <laughs> and in the way in the distance, we could hear... Really? As a, yeah. As you're walking out. As we're, so, yeah, no, I'm very sad about it. I didn't know... We didn't know what would happen, sure. of course, you know. Do you remember... Uh, did you see Canned Heat? Yeah. Man. Yeah, they were great. How, it's crazy, dude. I mean, I watched. I was watching some of the Woodstock recently, just the performances, and I like Canned Heat, but they were like a hell of a live band, man. Yeah, they were. That guy could do it. So, when do you sort of end up, you know, as a musician, you know, in that world in New York? Well, as as a biological human being, I wound up in New York in 1978. I, you know, um, I just got on the bus and came back. Yeah, um, and. At the time, I just knew I wanted to work. Yeah. I wanted to play guitar. And that was after you'd just been touring with uh, rock bands and R&B bands? Yeah, we, we had our local, you know, bands that, I mean, we... In Jersey? No, no, no. This this is up in Maine. Oh, I, you stayed I, up there a long time. Yeah, huh? I stayed up there for three years. And yeah. What was, what was great about it was, like, you know, we could work. Yeah. We worked pretty constantly. Right. Touring around... It was not great work, you know, like it was like holiday inns, whatever, yeah, whatever, right. whatever we could get. I mean, I, we'd play parties out on some island. I remember waking up in a vegetable patch. Oh, know? yeah, sure. Uh, but, but you weren't, you weren't, uh, you weren't pushing the envelope. No, no, no. no I mean, if, if we'd been smart enough, we would have been a top 40 band if we'd been smart enough to know what the top 40 was. Yeah. You know, we just right. played whatever... We thought people wanted to hear over their shrimp boats, you know. <laughs> you know, but See, it was great. On the other hand, we played it for four sets a night. Yeah, and so you playing, got, your, you got your, your your flight miles in. Yeah, play. Yeah. So for playing five hours a night, yeah, develop. That's, yeah, those that's muscles how you develop. You know. So you when you get to New York in '78, you've got no real. You know, you like no wave had already been happening, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of things were yeah. already happening, and I, I kind of. I kind of didn't get them, to be honest with you. When I first arrived, like who'd you first hear? It took me. It took me a few years. Oh, who did I first hear? Yeah, when you got to New York. Well, when I first got to New York, I, what I was interested. Yeah. In, I I went to CBGBs yeah. and I was checking at things out, and I heard, uh, I heard Richard Hell. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I heard Richard Hell and the Void Doys. I heard James Chance. Yeah. When I was in Maine, we had the idea that like jazz was a music of freedom. 
Mm. You know, there was some like died in the wool, very good jazz players sure. up there. Yeah. Um, and I took lessons with with one of them. I took about ten lessons from one one a guitar uh, guy. Yeah, uh, Tony Baffa. Yeah. And what he show you? Well, he managed to condense about three years of Berkeley School of Music into those ten lessons. Yeah. I guess I must, I must have been pretty ready to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And so he showed me kind of the standard approach to to bebop yeah which is something that i never really anyways i i got what it what it what whatever i know of what it's about i got from those 10 lessons yeah and i was never particularly good at straight ahead jazz playing yeah but you know i tried i practiced and in our imaginations like jazz, for those of us who had to play the top 40 stuff jazz seemed like totally this other world of freedom yeah and then when i hit new york and i started to to try to to try to make that scene, yeah. uh, a different picture presented itself because, um, well, okay, it meant you go to these jam sessions, you have to know the standards, yeah. you have to know, you know. So the, you're with the real jazz bows. Yeah, you, okay. well, with the aspiring yeah. jazz bows, and there would be a couple of real jazz bows, um, and most were bows, you know. Was it the, all, like at the loft? I hadn't yet wasn't immediately aware of the loft. Yeah. This was places like, uh, it was a club called Barber's where they would run jam sessions. Yeah. You know, I wasn't particularly hip, in other words. Yeah. I wasn't listening to the contemporary stuff. Yeah. I was like listening to what aspiring jazz musicians sure. hustle. But eventually, in the middle of that, I started to listen to to go and hear these gigs, the Lizards, Arto Lindsay. James um, Chance seems to James be up. Chance. He barked up that tree, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Blasting away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I started, you know, and I started to realize, man, the, I, I realized a couple of things. One is that the world of jazz at the time, mainstream jazz, was very regimented. Sure. Rather than being the, you know, it was like, rather than being the music of freedom, uh, it was, it was, super regimented in terms of what you had to learn, what you had to play. Right. And what, you know, when do you start integrating yourself into the world of improvisation? That started for me, I guess, mid, late 80s. Well, really? uh, yeah. you know, actually, the way I would put it is more that it's a, the, a lot of both free improvisation. When you yeah. talk about Derek Bailey, we're talking about free improvisational music, yeah. which is different than free jazz, okay? Right. Um, but with both of them, they're music that involves process. Yeah. In other words, it's not just this is this thing on this record is this aesthetically beautiful thing that you're th that's there for yeah. your admiration that's sure. perfected. No, what you get in those improvised music is you get a process. You get, um, you get to hear artists working towards something getting you get to hear and the the, re, the reward for listening to that process yeah. of labor is that you get to witness the creation of something yeah. it's not something that some composer worked out perfectly sure. beforehand or some effect yeah. that has been done a thousand times before yeah. you get to witness the creation of something new yeah so even if you don't get candy every 30 seconds yeah. predictably yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um it's a special kind of experience. At what point did you really submerse yourself into Caribbean music, world music? Because it seems that, you know, in, in the story of you, 
that something you know fundamental shifted in your understanding of of rhythm well yeah i mean i don't know if i could say that there was a particular moment yeah i mean f- first of all the you know the somehow uh franz's aesthetic got in my got in my brain yeah um even though i wouldn't have even though i wasn't really aware of it yeah sure you know in everything that franz did um if if he was playing in 4/4 four, four, somewhere there would be a little engine of 3/4 going against it and vice versa there was always some kind of implied counter rhythm going yeah. on and that's pretty key for you know for um afrological yeah. music yeah um but and in another sense also when i was living in new york like from the time i was living there like um salsa and and son and yeah. uh, cumbia are part yeah. of the mix yeah. you know sure. either there you hear them whether you want to or not at least in the neighborhoods that i was yeah. living in yeah yeah so it was really it was around it was in your neighbors you know your neighbor's radio yeah. you know on the street sure at block parties yeah. so um so it was there it was, yeah. and and it also it was part of the CBGB's mix too yeah. like i was okay yeah, i was playing rock you know but some of the early CBGB's bands were also influenced by other lower east side music um uh uh, Mick Deville, okay, yeah, Willie yeah. Deville, yeah. and interestingly enough, the only CBGB's band original that was actually from the neighborhood, yeah, the Lower East Side. So they were super influenced by Joe Baton and this Boogaloo thing, oh yeah, yeah. which was yeah. like a kind of uh, you know attempt to like in between R and B and salsa, yeah, you know, yeah. So there was a lot of that that was at the roots. Of rock and roll, too. Sure. Yeah, you know? yeah. But it seems like even though you, you speak about rocking the house, that there's a good part of your career where you were just, you know, an astronaut and, you know, going as far out there as you could go with the right bands. Yeah, but that rocked the house. I'm telling you, I I mean, I remember with Henry Grimes. Yeah. Um, uh, with that band Spiritual Unity with yeah. Henry and the late Roy Campbell Jr. in it. And and Chad Taylor, yeah. I mean, I re- we had people in in uh, Austria in yeah. some like completely uptight mountain town sure. in Austria shouting hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like so you got there. Yeah, yeah, you got to the place. So it feels to me that like you have a a sound that there is a way that you play that is uniquely yours, which is ultimately part of what you're gunning for, yeah? Well, you know, like, I really, um, in a way, that's an after effect. You know, like, I don't know, people, I'm just trying to make whatever song I'm playing on at the moment sound sound good. Yeah. And, and good meaning, or I'm trying to make it into something I like. So, like, if I'm working with a singer, like, I listen to what the words are. Yeah. And what the words are supposed to mean, and I try to think of okay, who are they, like, and where are they, and what yeah. what decade are they in? And yeah, are they in a bar or are they standing in in the middle of you know? Are they standing in the Grand Canyon? Yeah, and who would be who would be the band that's playing in that particular bar? Yeah, or who would be the band you know? Or what 
what sounds are you am I supposed to be that are happening in the Grand Canyon? Right. You know, so I try to make it make sense like that. And to whatever extent I play the same thing twice, which admittedly I've I do a lot. Yeah. But it's a kind of a failure, to be honest with you. I, I'm I don't like this idea that, you know, like people go out like a little capitalist building their brand. Yeah. Like, you know, the style is sure. something they own. People, yeah. You should try to sound good and rock the house. And then if 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 that, I mean, if I have a style, it's mostly due to my limitations. Well, yeah, but that's great in a way. But I mean, it seems like part of your sensibility is, is kind of, you know, a, a, a legacy of, of coming from sort of a, a radical uh, Jewish, you know, post-hippie place, a beatnik place. And it feels like, you know, when you got to New York, there was still a few of them around. Yeah, yeah, you might say. Because you worked with Ginsburg, right? Yeah, well, you know, when I mean, when you just said that, I I thought was thinking that Hal Wilner would be one person who tried to who kind of tied together a number of generations of of radical New York. Uh, yeah, he seems uh, to be scenes. like the like he's a, some sort of archivist with with a, a context. Yeah, and the context was like the Three Stooges mostly. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. that, he was like way into. Uh, yeah, he was uh, in love with with pop culture of the fifties and sixties. Yeah, but also like Lenny uh, Bruce. Yeah, yeah. And you worked with him a lot. Uh, I worked with Hal a fair amount. He, he's much missed. You know. Well, yeah, he was a, a, such an interesting guy. What made him so like interesting musically? Well, you know, he he just had a he what he liked to to do was was cross pollinate different generations in slightly different scenes. Yeah, you know, um, so you know, so on that record that you you mentioned yeah. the, the, with with the work with Allen Ginsberg, yeah, you know, he got um, a he got a bunch of uh, post punk people, yeah. You know, jazz people yeah. of different generations yeah. and different scenes, and put them in the same room and said, "Do something." Yeah, yeah. And we did. Yeah. You know, I'm that that record. Uh, I think it's it was reissued as something else, but the original title was "The Lion for Real," is one that I'm very proud of having yeah. played on. So, what about all those years with Zorn? Um, like strictly speaking, as a player, yeah. I, I always feel like I play better on other people's records, you uh -huh. know, <laughs> just because I'm not so worried about, you know, there's a million things I have yeah. to, other things I have to deal with on my own records. So I think without question, uh, so I, I worked with John for with Zorn for uh, for several decades, yeah. really, and you know we're still friends and work together occasionally, yeah. um, uh, and. I learned a lot from him. His, his music is very challenging. Sure. You know, it's a it's a real stretch. I think I went blind from trying to read his charts that he writes with. I don't know if he. It's like one of those brushes with yeah. us with one hair or something. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, and yeah, very very challenging stuff. So I I learned a lot, and I, I also think without question, and and he's very protean. You know, I mean, I've said this before, but like, if I get a, I don't do many film scores, but yeah. if I get one, like, I'll get it and I'll like worry about it every day for two months before I record it. Yeah, and write stuff sure. out and like 
you know, really go crazy. When John gets a film score, he wakes up a little earlier that day and the day of the recording session yeah. and writes it while he's watching TV and listening to another record. Wow. I mean, yeah, yeah. He has composer chops. It's very rare, let's huh. just say. Um, and and yeah, he puts out. He's protean. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. It it's a lot of work just to listen to. <laughs> To keep yeah, up I, with listening to yeah, what he puts it's, out. It, but I, I mean, I, you know, again, I, there was a few records there that I would just listen to and I was just kind of, my mind was blown. He definitely kind of rocks the house with you guys. Oh, yeah. He, he always also manages to find great players. I yeah. Mean, and it seems to me that you worked with Waits and helped sort of define his shift in sound. Do you think that's true? Um, well... Um, was that Rain Dogs? I, Were you on Rain Dogs? Yeah, I was on Rain Dogs, Frank's Wild Years. Those are the ones, of... really. Like, you know, like, it seems like the end of the old weights was probably Heart Attack and Vine, and then he shifted into well, something else. Well, Swordfish Trombones, yeah. which I wasn't on, which yeah. is, was like, I think, his first one where he really started to get into uh, experimenting with a lot of different sounds. So, yeah, it seemed like your guitar fit perfect into that. Well, I didn't play on Swordfish No, but on Rain Dogs. But, but yeah. on Rain Dogs, yeah. yeah. Um, I really, I, I, I really liked what he was doing at the time, so I was I was glad to get called. How does he work as a band leader? Um, well, first of all, he's as as a producer, as yeah. a band leader. Yeah, he's great to work with yeah. because he kind of sets a vibe. Yeah, or a mood. Yeah, maybe on guitar, maybe he'll play a little percussion, but he'll get the mood going, the basic rhythm going. Yeah. Um, and then he leaves it to us to come up with our parts. Right. And he's kind of like an editor. If, if it's not working for him, he'll let you know and, yeah. and you try something else. Yeah. But he, he was o always, uh, very respectful of musicians and gave us a lot of space to develop what we were, yeah. what we were doing. And, uh, yeah. And as also what, what the way he works in the studio most people like they know somebody like Waits as the artist, the yeah. person they see in the theater, right. or they hear on the record. Yeah, but but musicians know know Tom and and other artists who who in the studio who take a role in their own production. We know him as a producer. Yeah, so he was he was the one who was like deciding on the sound. Yeah, and he's a very fearless producer yeah he's not the kind of producer who like knows what every microphone is yeah and knows you know every compressor setting sure and all that but he's the kind who says i want it to sound like this and he just doesn't stop until yeah. he gets a sound he likes yeah so you know i mean uh you were talking about les claypool I mean, yeah we've all dug ethnomusic recordings and field recordings yeah. right right but Waits didn't just dig him. He said he took the obvious step, but nobody else did it. He says, I want the band to set up on my driveway. Yeah. I wasn't there, but that was, <laughs> that, you know. He that once was, said one of the greatest things I've ever heard when they, someone asked him what his favorite music was. And he said an AM radio across the street. Well, you know, that's, that is, that's a, a kind of a deep comment because yeah. it's something that, that Waits, that I think, I have in, in common yeah. with Waits is that, you know, some people are dealing with the history of music. Yeah. But, like, I'm more dealing with the memory of it. Mm. 
you know um so that's interesting yeah like i i remember um playing on a record another record that was that's really cool is, is uh buddy miller made a record called uh, majestic silver strings uh-huh. and uh uh, you know, a bunch of bunch of people were on it. Um, uh, like Frizzell played on it. Yeah, a bunch of other great musicians. And, yeah, and I was, and we made it down in Nashville, where Buddy Miller lives, uh-huh. and, and of course, Buddy himself is a fantastic guitar. Yeah, guitarist. And and I was listening to Buddy's tracks and 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 Bill Frizzell's tracks, um, and they sounded like exactly like if someone had had gone into the master recordings of a 19 late 1950s classic Nashville huh. session and uh-huh. and got the guitar sounds and i listened to mine and it sounded like this crinkly horrible thing degraded thing and i realized they're recording the history of this kind of music i'm recording how i heard it on on like the radio of my mother's Chevrolet yeah. when I was four years old and got left in the car, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, that's the sound. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you, you're out on tour now? Uh, yeah, I have been, I have been touring. Um, I, I dropped, I was in the neighborhood, which is to say I was in Minneapolis last night. Oh, yeah. And so I just dropped in to, you know, to, Talk. to speak with you. Well, thank you for doing that. My pleasure. Who are you touring with? How's What is it, the trio? I did a, a couple of things there. Uh, I played with the jazz bins. It's a great uh, town for arts, man. Yeah. Minneapolis, the best. Absolutely. And for home of, former home of the purple potentate himself. Yes, that's for sure. Right. So I also played with John Modeski. We did a duo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I hope this uh, I hope it was worth it flying over. Well, so far. Yeah, I think uh, I think we uh, we got your daughter sitting out in the in the heat. It was good talking to you, man. Yeah, likewise. There you go, double header. Again, as I said before, you can get the Ceramic Dog album connection wherever you get music and uh, Big Music Day. Hang out for a minute, folks. All right, people, tomorrow for full Marin subscribers, we'll post the latest Ask Mark Anything episode. We got hundreds of questions so you can see if yours made the cut. And if you didn't hear the announcement at the top of the show, anyone subscribed to WTF Plus by October 15th will be eligible to win one of 30 signed tour posters. Just click on the link in the episode description to sign up or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF Plus. All right, this is my new guitar.
Boomer lives. Monkey and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere. <laughs>